What's up, guys? It's Neil Dashwood here, and you're listening to I See Things a Little Differently. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the show, I See Things a Little Differently. I'm going to have to hit a, a huge podcast uh, run in the next couple of days. Uh, finished watching The Boys, <clears throat> season three. I'm going to rewatch it, but not for podcast reasons, for entertainment reasons. Um, watched Thor Love and Thunder, as you guys can tell by the name, and I still have to record Monday show. So we're going to hit Thor Love, Love, uh, Thor, Love and Thunder first. <clears throat> Um, it was the first MCU romantic comedy. Uh, before we get into all that, please subscribe, please follow, um, please like and give five stars on five on Spotify. Please do give a review on Apple Podcasts as the, we're moving up the rankings, which I do appreciate. Um, but to me, Love and Thunder was exactly what I expected it to be. A, a surprise I didn't see Beta Ray Bill. Um, in it, but you know what's kind of funny? And I was talking to somebody, I think it was my cousin Sean. No one talks about this, but outside of the first Thor film, every Thor film has been traditionally a transitional film. Thor The Dark World was a way to introduce an Infinity Stone, the Ether. Thor Ragnarok was to get to New Asgard and to get to Infinity War. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And this one, honestly, was to set Thor up on his next adventure and his next battle with Hercules, which we'll get to in a second, and some other things as well. But that's why, in my opinion, they're not really great, great movies. Like I didn't even think Thor Ragnarok was that great, to be honest with you. I thought it was really cool to see a Planet of the Hulk esque story. Um, but personally, I've always felt the Thor films have shined. When Thor is in his, when when you see Asgard, when you see them in their element, um, so it's exactly what I expected. Like I said, I thought the things I thought I would see, I didn't see, were very few. I thought I would see Beta Ray Bill in some form or capacity. Um, I didn't expect the ending to happen the way it happened with someone dying. Um, and I didn't see a kid being involved in it. So those things were kind of interesting there. But let's, let's get started. So first, we, we start off where we get a look at Gore before he becomes the God Butcher, where he has his daughter and he's just praying to you know the gods to you know give them water because they're just in a dry area. The daughter, who just so happens to be Chris Hemsworth's real daughter in her real life, um, ends up passing away. She's the the identity of I'm saying that wrong, I know, but yeah, English learn how to speak, I guess, right? Um, which is the, she is the identity of love. I'm saying that wrong again. Some stop saying that, but she's love essentially. Um, which we don't know at that time. We just assume it's Gore's daughter, which it is. Um, now in the comic books for you guys who are not versed from this. And if you guys did not, um, cause we didn't talk about his, his, uh, origin story. Essentially Gore comes from a people of peace, a people of faith and prayer. And when their answers aren't pray, uh, answered, Gore is the only one in his village to essentially question the gods. So because of that, he's exiled. And then all of a sudden, one day, two gods are fighting. And one god is killing another god. And he looks at Gore and he says, help me, help me. And he says, where were you to help me? And that's when the Necrosword, which is it's not called that in the comics. But um, because it has uh, pieces of symbiotes on it, um, which they don't, which MCU does not have the rights to say, it's 
Well, I don't know if they were right to say it, but they'll probably won't bring it right now. Um, essentially, that's what it's a part of it's made of. Anyways, um, the sword calls to Gore, and Gore butchers him. That's the first one. And a fun fact is, do you never? I don't think you've ever seen in my his reading the comics. I don't think you've ever seen Gore actually butcher a god on camera. Like you hear the stories. Like when he tells Thor, like when he's torturing Thor, and he's like, "Hey, I tortured the torture god, the god of torture, and he gave me or or he gave me or gave up uh, uh, what I wanted, whatever." Um, but I don't think you ever really see him killing anybody. So that's why what makes the next thing interesting. So all of a sudden, the Dar dies, and then all of a sudden, this like paradise of water and uh, forest kind of just pops up out of nowhere once the daughter dies. And then I can't remember who the who he's the god of, but all of a sudden you essentially see Gore pleading with him, "Hey Lord, we needed you. Where were you?" This dude sitting here eating pine whole, whole pineapple, laughing with his minions, like he's just clearly mocking Gore, and he's bragging the goddess about how he killed the person who came for him with the necro sword, and so. Um, this is when Gore regales him and says, "No, you're you're useless and you're not you're not helping." And all of a sudden, the sword calls to Gore. Well, the god has Gore by his neck, and this is when he becomes God Butcher. The sword just sneaks up, and he and the god before he dies says, "The sword shows you you are destined for death." And that's when you've seen a transformation. You go from seeing a kind of pinkish, dried out Gore to the a blue entity and then he says all gods must die and he begins his path to essentially annihilating other um gods well part of what i, I didn't say was he's as, he, as the sword's calling gore he's seeing these visions of the bifrost and everything so essentially the sword's giving him the answer to how to get rid of gods without having to fight all of them so anyways moving on we end up seeing I don't exactly remember. I think it was next up was essentially the Guardians of the Galaxy cameo where you, where you see Thor getting into shape and Korg is narrate, narrating it, excuse me. And um, th- this movie moves, in my opinion, I get what Marvel's doing. I think I get what Marvel's doing. They are so trying to not make every movie three hours or two and a half hours that they're just like, but, but also historically, in fairness to Thor from films, they don't go over two hours very often. I think Thor the Dark World was an hour and 59 minutes. I believe Thor the first one was like a two hour and five minute movie. And I don't remember how long Ragnarok was. That probably was the longest Thor movie they had. But anyways. So. Essentially. uh, We're seeing. uh, Thor get back into shape. And we're seeing them just go to just the planet, the planet, the planet. As they are the Asgardians of the galaxy. And um, just honestly a montage of fighting and and just seeing that chemistry that built in um infinity war and so then eventually guardians of the galaxy go away and it leaves go um korg the hell is that oh it leaves korg with thor as they seek to just continue on their journey of um finding who thor is then we skip to earth where they went there they used um a lot of the comic run of the mighty thor and um, Jane Foster has cancer, and she has stage four, and there's nothing they could do. We see a we see a cameo, a quick cameo from Eric Selvig, which was good to see that he was acknowledged because 
much like Nellie Portman, when she was out, he was out, right? But at the same time, they were on Earth for maybe five minutes before they, if everything went cosmic. Um, we also see Kat Dennings make her return to the MCU um, after she was in WandaVision. And it was, and it was one thing that came with just her being there for um, and her just saying, you don't have to do this alone. She said, contact Thor. And so essentially, um, when Jane is looking for cures on her own, Minor calls to her. I always say that name wrong. I'm just going to say the hammer. The hammer calls to her, essentially. Now, the hammer is on New Asgard, where it's like a now a tourist site. And it's in this, like, container where it's all the broken pieces of it from what Hela did to it in Thor Ragnarok. So, Jane goes on the tour, and you see a quick, quick, quick... Uh, you never see her become worthy, but you see her become worthy. Air quotes, no air quotes. You, can me, you can't see me doing air quotes. Um... Meanwhile, uh, Thor and Korg are um, wondering what's going on, like what, what, how are gods dying, and this is when we have the return of Lady Sif, who had, which I predicted last week, had all of three minutes of airtime, and it was some really bad acting on Jamie Alexander's part, and I, and I like her, but and I, honestly, I think it was, let me rewind. I think she was directed to act that way because I don't think she thought she was dying. So it was supposed to be over the top dramatic. The one thing I will give, I, I read like two reviews. I do think Watiki, yeah, I think he tried to stick with the formula of Thor Ragnarok with the humor. Me personally, I didn't find the humor to be that funny. But also when you dig into the history of Ragnarok, the stuff that I did find humorous was all ad lib. Like when Thor said, he's a friend from work. You know, apparently that was a, an ad lib or whatever, whatever it's called in Hollywood. I know it's called Hollywood. I just forgot the name. Um, and I feel like a lot of the comedy was not meant for me. My demo. Um, which is which is fine. Like Once I seen how she was acting, I was like, ooh, she's not that. She's a good actor. She's not a bad actor. And I thought about it when I... That's why I call myself just now. I thought about it when I was like processing this, the, the movie. I was like, she was directed to act that way. Um, she lost an arm. Um, I don't remember in the comics... If Lace if actually lost her arm, but we do see her at the end of the film, uh, training Hamdal's son. So maybe this means she'll be in the MCU. Well, technically she made her, technically air quote she made her return in Loki. Technically, if we're being real, that was her return. She had more screen time in Loki than she did in this movie, which is unfortunate. I'm a big fan of Sif and Jamie Alexander. Anyways, um. This is when you get that beautiful shot from the directly from the comic book, except the only thing that's in it that's not in it in the comic book is Cork. But it's that beautiful shot of the god that's the god. Uh, I, 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 folks, I'm not gonna remember a lot of these gods' names, so fuck off. Um, uh, we want to be very specific, but no, like the, the, the that bear or whatever it was, essentially that frozen bear. Essentially, that's straight straight from the car. I still remember that panel. It was such a gorgeous panel. And Cork is the only thing that's in it, but it doesn't ruin it for me at all. But it's like, wow, what a shot that was. Um, and that's when uh, Thor needs to go into New Asgard to, you know, take in Sif um, for, you know, medical treatment. And so we see King Valkyrie for the first time. I think Tessa Thompson... I don't know... Tessa Tom- Valkyrie has an interesting place in the MCU to me. She reminds me of Moon Knight a lot. When I say that, I mean, they have a place in the MCU. I don't know where it, where it is, though. I have no clue where it is. Because I don't know how much we're going to see of New Asgard. 
if that makes any sense. So, I don't know, just, she, 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 she felt definitely in place in this movie, but I feel like she could be done, this was not about her, this was about Jane Foster and Thor getting closure, and, and us getting closure to those characters, uh, together. Anyways, um, there are a huge battle breaks out, this is when Gore first attacks, like I said, this movie moves really fast, um, so, so it's like nothing's really taking time to breathe. It reminds me of an AEW show, to be honest with you. As a matter of fact, I even skipped over a part. You see a montage, and I hated this. You see a montage of why they broke up. I thought it was the stupidest montage I've seen since some flashbacks on fucking Arrow. And I mean that with the bottom of my, law, my heart. Um, I just felt like it was n- not necessary... Because if, if I mean, you don't want to harp too much on it, but and I get like I said, I got the trope. Like I said, this is a romantic comedy, so I got it. And once again, I understood that that wasn't part of the demo for me. And the one thing I've been able to do with the MCU is, for me as a fan, be able to be like, that's just not for me. I'll watch it. This is not for me though, if that makes any sense. Um, and so I got the whole. F- flip book thing about hey this is why we broke up blah blah um anyways moving forward essentially Thor is the first time he sees the hammer completely back together and it gets close and close and close and then gets pulled back and then you see the mighty Thor for the first time on, on camera and he's like who is that and then uh he realizes it's Jane he's like wow now mind you no one knows she I, I think Valkyrie knows she has cancer but it's never explicitly said um, and Gore is attacking a new Asgard because he knows, essentially, when he saw the Bifrost, that's how you get to Eternity. And the first person to get to Eternity has acts one wish, and it will be granted. And so that's why he's essentially uh, tricked Thor into coming back to new Asgard. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty... I, I, I thought every... First of all, let's get this out of the way. I thought every scene with Gore was fantastic as far as just the acting from Christian Bale. Um Waitiki said that he felt Thor Gore would be top five villain. I mean in MCU it's kind of not hard to break, unfortunately. Um I have not had time to think about it yet. Um he's a good villain. I don't know if he's top five. I'll actually need to write those thoughts down, which I have not done. Um but this scene was all about kidnapping the children, essentially bringing them to the shadow realm where they would have to fight him on his turf. Um, this is when we were introduced to Heimdall's son. Uh, we, we already introduced him early in the film when, when they're doing a montage of what's going on in New Asgard, but I didn't know that was Heimdall's son at first. Um, and it's interesting that they're introducing so many, they introduced so many kids in this film. And so I'm kind of like, man, like, is, this, is this like the, the biggest new Avengers setup we've seen? Or Young Avengers, excuse me. I'm just super curious about that. And I will say this. I was never a huge fan of Young Avengers in the comics, so I probably wouldn't go watch those movies. I would wait for them to come out on uh, DVD or whatever. But um, I do know some people that are excited for it. Anyways, just skimming through some things here and there. Essentially, now they have to come together. They realize how they realize who Gore is and that he is the God Butcher. And it's Dora's idea to then go to, I'm going to call it Mount Olympus because I can't remember the name, but it's where all the gods come together. And you see a number of gods. You see uh, the, the dragon from Shang-Chi, 
to see uh, one of the entities from Black Panther. Like, you see all the gods coming together here. And Valkyrie, Korg, Thor, and Mighty Thor end up coming into skies. And then Thor, because Thor's idea was to talk to Zeus, because Zeus has a weapon, his lightning bolt, that can match the Necro Sword. And so this is when you get the naked scene. You do see his bare ass for you ladies who watch the show and were wondering. Actually, I did have people asking me that question. I was like, you guys must be uh, smitten over Mr. Hemsworth. Um, I thought this was actually a fun scene because Russell Crowe's Greek accent, I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was good. I thought it fit what it needed to fit. An over-the-top, showboaty type of character. Well, then a fight ensues, because of course it always does. Thor takes the lightning bolt, throws it through Zeus's heart. Zeus falls. Um, a, a huge fight commences, and um, they end up... Uh, I forgot to, to mention this. In that first fight of the Guardians of the Galaxy is when we see the people of a certain planet that they just saved, but completely ruined their home, um, give the horses to Thor. And so then they travel through the Bifrost with the horses and, 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 the, and the, 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 the boats and stuff like that. Anyways, essentially, this scene, because Thor went to ask the gods for help, but Russell Crowe made a good point. He's killing lower-tier gods. He wouldn't dare come on this planet because then he has to fight all of us, and no Necrosword is going to kill all of them at once. They could, Zeus could probably just throw a lightning bolt through him like he did with Korg, and Korg almost died, but his face still remains, so he ended up growing. And I didn't know Korg was gay. I didn't know that was a part of the, 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 the legacy that they were doing, but that's cool, I guess. Um, it, it honestly didn't feel a lot. Of, so many things. And I just was telling my cousin someone. He's like, nothing was explained right. I said, honestly, I think that was on purpose. I think they didn't want to, to uh, harp too much on anything. You, it was a blinking, you missed it. See, uh, little shot of the, of the Bifrost when Gore killed fucking the, the first god. Um, you you have the flip book through of the relationship of Jane Foster and Thor. You have Cork who throws out there his parents were gay as he's narrating. He just casually throws it out there, which he does when he finds a partner at the end of the film. Like, nothing was actually harped on. So it's like one of those things where if you're going to be mad, you're just being mad because they brought it up. But it's, it's their fucking movie. They can do what they want to. But this scene was too set. But anyways, he goes there and Russell Crowe and Zeus makes a good fucking point. Like, why would they jump into a fair? Why would they follow him? And that where Thor did get offended, he said, hey, this Russell Crowe, I keep saying his real name, Zeus, said, these are Asgardian problems. Do we bring our problems to you? They said, he'll be all our problems. And they said, no, he won't, because he won't come here. And, I, and that was never part of Gore's plan, was to fight the, all the gods' heads on. That's why Zeus had to say he killed lower tier, lower tier gods. They probably were never going to be, you know, at Mount Olympus anyway. Anyways, um, but this scene was a set the post credit scene. And to see where Thor's what where was where, where they're going with Thor next? Anyways, so they end up getting out of there. Uh, Korg's the only air quotes casualty, I guess. Um, and then they go to the shadow room, which I thought was the best 10, 15 minutes, however long it was, of the movie. The color scheme, um, the the dynamics between each character. Um, you also just to mention this before they go to all these things, you do see Jane Foster getting weaker. You do see it. So you see that the hammer is. Uh, affecting her in not the best way, but she she wants to keep going. Um, so, anyways, um, they get to the shadow realm. Uh, essentially, they free the kids within a huge fight ensues. 
I thought this was a great fight scene, personally. Um, and so you end up having Valkyrie getting stabbed, which you knew was going to take her out the rest of the film. And then essentially when they have to t- travel her back home, that's when Gore gets his hands on, matter of fact, the kids aren't even saved yet. Excuse me. Um, that's when Gore gets his hands on the buy for all the stormbreaker. Um, and then they zoom away and then they have to find another way to get to eternity before Gore can wipe out everyone in existence or every God in existence. So essentially this is when Thor finds out that Jane Foster has cancer and that's when he realizes, after talking to the doctors, hey, this hammer's killing her. They, they don't know it's killing her because they don't know who she is. But he tells her, hey, I'll go by myself. I'll come by. I'd much rather have you alive. Um, what you knew was a setup for her not going to take that advice. So Thor goes on his own. And, um, oh, by the way, the reason why they needed to, when Zeus did not want to help them, like, with the army, they knew his lightning bolt could be the thing to uh, help against a necrosword. And that's why they had to t- at least take that, right? Even though they made enemies. So anyways, go, uh, Thor goes by himself. He ends up uh, freeing the kids. And he gives all of them the power, a temporary power of Thor. And so we see a huge fight scene with the kids. And it reminded me of Shazam in a, in a, little, in a little bit when uh, Billy Batson gave his power to his, his, the, the Shazam family. Um, so they fought. And finally he told... Um, Thor told Heimdall's kid, Alex, to get out of here, which they did. Uh, then all of a sudden, Thor and Gore have a one-on-one fight where Gore is kind of being beat up. Not as much as I thought he was going to be beat up. That's when you see the mighty Thor come, and um, essentially the Bifrost is still going. It's opening up. It finally opened up the gates to eternity. And so you have this thing where now you have eternity there, Gore's there, Thor's there, and Jane Foster's there. Jane Foster can no longer um, wield the hammer because you can see she's, she's just too weak now. The, the hammer just made the cancer go faster. And so she's on the ground, she's laying there, and Eternity is this white, cloudy place with water. It's actually pretty... No one can say Waitiki doesn't care about colors. He cares about colors tremendously. Anyways, so what ends up happening is, is Thor says, well, you won. Like, like he turns his back on, on Gore, and Gore's like, you dare turn your back on me? And this is what I will say. This line made sense. Even though the last part didn't make sense, this line made sense. Thor said, well, you're already in front of eternity. You've won. Why would I spend my last minutes with you when I could spend my last minutes with her? I choose love. Sound like a Wonder Woman kind of uh, movie. But that made sense in that moment because there was nothing that Thor could do. At that point, the Bifrost had opened Eternity. So he, he was going to get his wish in either way because he was the first one in Eternity. That's the rule. Which, I, if you're a casual fan, you weren't. that wasn't explained well to you. It wasn't, that was another just line that he just went over. Um, so he goes over to Jane and he's talking, those two are talking, they're having uh, a goodbye moment. And then you see Gore break down crying as the way Thor is holding Jane is the way he held his daughter before she died. And so he made his wish to bring his daughter back. And he looks at Thor and says, you take care of her. And this is when Jane, this is right before this Jane Foster ashes away, similar to how Odin did, Frigga did. She died a warrior's death. Um... And so Thor says yes. He says, nods his head, yes, I'll watch over her. And this is where the movie got weird. 
because I didn't know this was the, the identity of love until I started like looking at different videos. Saying, okay, that's who that is. Because people kept telling me it was a made up character. I was like, ah, I don't seem to just making up random characters for the fuck of it in the MCU. Like, that's something I could see them doing in like the the old Marvel studio shows before Foggy took over. I just didn't see him doing it here. But that's just me. Um, I knew she was important somehow. Well, anyways, that, and I will say this, that last part, the speech Thor gave, for the speech he gave him doing air quotes again, it made sense for Gore to bring back his daughter. But you just tried to kill this guy, and now you think he's going to watch your kid. And I will say it's the one line they left out that was in the trailer that, 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 I mean, it was, it, it, we're going to get to something else in a second, but like, if I'm taking my non-critical hat off, that one line in, the, in the, the trailer where he says, you're different from every other God that I've ever killed because you have something to fight for. I think that line would have helped make more of a transition for him saying, I choose love. And Gore saw something in him, the way he held Jane Foster, where he was, where he, where he legit said, "No, I'm fighting you anymore. I'm, t- I'm, li- pardon my back, as I go enjoy the last few minutes with someone I care about," which is the same thing he would do, right? Now, once again, this is the writer in me justifying the scene, even though it wasn't one of my favorite scenes. I definitely think it hurt for me personally, for me nitpicky. Um, but it doesn't take away from the performance. But anyways, uh, Thor essentially just takes his kid in his week. So, so he loses one love to get essentially love. Um, and, uh, and so then you end up having them fight together. And you see their interaction, how he's cooking her pancakes. And she's saying, I don't want to wear my boots. And he's like, well, fine, don't wear your boots. Then you get no sympathy from me. And then you see them, you see the connection they have. Um, which, once again, they're not, this movie was glossed over a lot of things, so I'm assuming we're gonna get more of their rela- more of their relationship in time. But when I first saw it, I was like, man, this is complete God of War vibes right now. Um, but then you see the new Asgard where they have the statue of the Mighty Thor, uh, and you see all the kids returned. And um, Heimdall's son was a huge part of this movie, which I'm assuming once again, Heimdall love. Uh, I will see me Alex love like uh, this was based around children you know and 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 stuff like that so that was interesting um so with that being said the post-credit scenes were interesting so the very last one was uh jane foster essentially going to valhalla and you have the return of idris alba who thanks her for watching over his son and says well you're dead and he says welcome to valhalla which is looks like asgard looks beautiful um they showed that scene for a reason. I think we're gonna. I don't know if we're gonna see a bunch of people transfer back there, but I do think we're gonna see um, more interaction with Valhalla. I just I, there's no way. There's no reason to show that. We know where she went. It was the first time they ever showed Valhalla on on screen. So I, I don't think it's gonna be a big part of the MCU, but I can see it being a part of it. And then the, the first post credit scene, which was the bigger one, you see Zeus healing with the Zeusettes, and um, he's talking. He says, "When did we become the weak ones?" When did we get become feared? He said, they will fear us when Odin's son drops from the sky and he's dead. Do you understand, my son? Then you see Hercules make his MCU debut. And uh, in, in, in the comics, at least. Hercules is one of Thor's strongest foes. Um, 
he's his strength is up there with the Hulks as well. So this will be one hell of a fight. Um, so I thought that was a cool reveal, even though funny part about this, it was it was air quotes ruined for me. Even though you guys know I don't care about spoilers, I was on YouTube and legitimately on YouTube um, was the post credit scene just just leaked. I was like. Why, why are you guys such terrible people doing this? And the funny thing is, I didn't even know it was supposed to... So what happens is, I do watch a lot of new Rockstars videos when they, when Eric Voss does reviews. So sometimes he will have the face in like the... Um, essentially a screenshot of the uh, of the post credit scene. So I usually watch the breakdowns, right? But I won't actually watch the post credit scene. What was... Literally the thumbnail looks just like the one that they use on new Rockstars. So I click on it, and... I'm not even paying attention because I'm walking around my room. If I look over, I'm like, why the fuck do I hear a Greek fucking voice talking to me? And I look over, I'm like, oh, it's I did such a fucking post-credit scene. It didn't ruin anything for me. Don't give a shit. But I just thought it was like, man, so many people are gonna be probably pissed off about this. But I thought it was a cool post-credit scene, getting us to the next thing. But once again, a transitional film. Um, I saw a video that Jonathan Esther sent me about it was from IGN. Matter of fact, before we get to that, so my review of Love and Thunder. I thought, I thought it was all right, you know. Um, it's one of those movies that I could. Once again, I've seen the movies I've wanted to see today. I mean, this year already. Um, everything else at this point is legitimately me just putting more icing on the the cake. Um, but yeah, I've seen the movies I want to see. I expect I well, this is not one of the movies I I looked at on the calendar and said I need to see this, you know. Um, but I thought it was all right, you know. I think for it to be a romantic comedy wrapped in a Marvel movie. I think more of the base that they targeted will definitely love this movie. I think a lot of children and women will love this movie. And the funny thing is, I've seen a lot of... I know this one hardcore rapper. Dude, this, this dude rap about some hardcore shit. And he, he is kind of hardcore. This dude messaged me and said, Man, that love and thunder was fire. I was like, really? They even got you. Interesting. And maybe because it wasn't too comic booky for him. Maybe that's just what it was. Maybe the, maybe they were able to ignore the the, the talk of Stormbreaker and Minor and fucking uh, Shadow Realm uh, because of the love part, because of the connection between Jane Foster and Thor. You know, I mean, so I can't even I can't even be mad about it. But that was all right, you know. Um, no complaints here about that. The nitpicks I had were the nitpicks I had, but nah, man, it's just what I expected. But as far as the video Jonathan Esther sent me about IG, from IGN, YouTube video, it was about Phase 4 not having a direction. I completely think that's on purpose. Like, from the t- if you think about it, we didn't even know what we were building to until Feige said at a Comic-Con, I think it was a San Diego Comic-Con, he was like, uh, if you look at the characters we're putting together, it's not um surprise we're putting this boom, boom, boom together. And even then... They had no plans for the MCU. You gotta remember, they all have gone on record of saying Josh Whedon just threw Thanos in there at the end. That was Josh Whedon's idea. So whether you like him or not now, that was just him throwing us a fan favorite bone. And then all of a sudden they said, Well, what if we do go there? What if we do Infinity War? What if we have Thanos? Snap. So they still didn't have a plan when they got to the first Avengers. I think this time they have a plan, but I think their plan is to introduce as many characters as possible, and they're going to do what they want to do, you know? And also, at the same time, I get the video's purpose. I get, I do get, I do understand the video. It's saying how we have more runtime now and less accomplished, which I agree with and disagree with. I think 
now that Feige's over everything, he wants to set up his Earth world and his cosmic world. And I think eventually they will collide. But I think you have to, in my opinion, and I'm not being an MCU apologist. Like, I will tell you something fucking sucks. I just think that you have to introduce a certain amount of characters. And his thing also, if they rush a new Avengers movie, right, without having the X-Men in it, yeah, we know the X-Men exists now. We have our first official mutant in the MCU in Charles Xavier. But if you have it without the X-Men... What, Fantastic Four, with you now having the rights? That's unacceptable. Period and bottom line. They are doing these things to set up the bigger picture. You know, and I, I so I believe it's directionless for a purpose. But see, I already accepted this. And I think I said this on the podcast before. I know I said it in private before. I already went into this year knowing that all these, all these movies are transitional movies. I knew it. And as I say that, um, fucking Echo in, in the Echo show... Kingpin and fucking Daredevil are going to reappear. Now you can have crossover between movies and TV. I just think you have to build that roster. Because for as much as I enjoyed The Defenders on Netflix, it felt flat to me anytime they didn't mention the snap or anytime that was glossed over. It's like, it still affects you, dude. How do you know Trish Walker just didn't happen to get snapped? Like, that did annoy me. So I'm, I'm going to be a little more patient with it, but at the same time, I truly went into this year, and I've been saying to everybody that knows me, hey, man, you know, this is a transitional year for Marvel. So I will say this. If we go into next year, after Mania and Loki Season 2, and they're still doing the fucking heroes, and I'm talking the TV show heroes, and Season 2, Season 3, Season 4, oh, yeah, then fuck that shit. That's bullshit. But I don't, I don't see it going that far, personally. I see everything connecting to whatever they're heading to. Everyone thinks the Secret Wars... I don't know, um, but either way, I enjoyed it. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Um, I'm gonna put this out here on a Sunday, and uh, and I have to record the Monday show. But anyways, I will talk to you guys later. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Hope you guys enjoy the week. I'm out.